um, very, a very exciting sicha. Vayeshev, uh, Dalit, Chelek Tezbav, Chanukah. We're learning today, we continue to learn, of course, in the Schos, <clears throat> that all of the Shvuyim, all of the abductees, all the Chatufim should be returned home safe in body and in mind and in spirit. And for a for Shlema, for everybody who was wounded and hurt, and with a tefillah, the bottom of our hearts, that there should already be Shalom, Emes Shalom, and a for Shlema, Nisi, for her Yosef Yitzchak, Ben Sima And now comes the special part. We are so excited to wish a big Mazel Tov to Rachi, Rachi Shemtov, whose grandson, first grandson, Semach, um, Shemtov became Bar Mitzvah. They live their Shluchim in Montevideo in Uruguay. And to Leah Goldman, on the Upsharnish of her grandson Elio Goldman, they live in South Africa. And if there are any other um, simchas that people want to share, if you want to mute yourself and um, share those now, would be a great good time. Um, but we just wish each other and all of Klal Yisrael only simchas, always simchas, mit gesundheit, Nothing less. Anybody for a simcha to add? Okay, then we begin. The Pirish HaPasuk, in the explanation on the Pasuk for Habar Reik Ein Mayim. So this is, of course, talking about Yasef being thrown into the pit. And the Pasuk says that it was empty and it had no water. So of all places in the Sugya of Hanukkah, the Gemara comments on this Pasuk. So Rav Nasan, the son of, of Minyumi, taught in the name of Rav Tanchum, he asks the question, isn't it inferred from the words that the pit was empty and didn't have water? So what do, what do we understand from it? If it's empty, it should it should be that there's no water. Why does the Torah tell us there's no water? But what is the, what is the puzzle trying to teach us? Ain't by Mayim. Mayim ain't by. When it says ain't by Mayim, it's teaching us that there's no water. But snakes and scorpions, yes, those are in the boar. And this is something that I'm guessing a lot of us are familiar with because Rashi cites this. Vipashtos. So seemingly, simply speaking, Hatam so seemingly, why does this limud come in the in the sugya in, in where where Hanukkah is being discussed? Because this is the way the Gemara works that it'll bring something from one manda amar from one from one um, um, uh, tana. And then it will also it will also bundle together other teachings from that same Tana. And uh the Tana who taught this just before this, Amar of Kahana, Darish Rav Nasan Bar Minyumi, Bishmeid Rabbi Tanchum, Ner Shalchanika Bukhule. 
So this same sage taught something regarding Hanukkah right before this. And so the Gemara follows up with bringing this limut from the same Tana. But the Rebbe rejects that, uh, let's just say, casual connection, um, because the Rebbe teaches constantly, constantly, over and over and over again, that nothing in Torah is casual or even causal, and therefore there has to be a deeper reason. Everything in Torah is exquisitely precise. So when the Gemara brings down a certain teaching in a certain tractate, this is not because of some side reason, some peripheral reason, like for instance, that a few teachings from the same uh, person are bundled together. But rather, it has to be that there is a very contextual reason and and a, a, a relevance. There's a there's a um, the content is connected to the tractate to the sugya in which it is found, and so there must be something about these words. And this limud that mayim, there's no mayim, but there is, but there are snakes and scorpions to the idea of Hanukkah. There has to be a connection between this teaching and Hanukkah. And for sure. Um, in 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 light of what the Shalah taught at the beginning of our parsha, and in general, the Rebbe constantly cites the Shalah that, and we had it with Yotes Kislev, if you remember, uh, that the Shalah says that every parsha is intrinsically connected to the Yom Tevim, the Yom Tev that falls in that parsha or in uh, close confluence, and the Shalah wrote Shab Parshas Vayeshev Miketz Vayigash Yeshlehen Shaychus Lachanaka that these three parshias, so we're doing Vayeshev today, and then next week and the week after, all three have a Shaykhaz Tachanukah, and this Pasuk that we that we begin with, that the bar, the, the pit was empty and it had no water, is in Parshas Vayeshev, so there has to be a connection. Beis. Amru Chazal. Our sages taught, Ain mayim that when you speak of water, there's nothing more quintessential water than teira. From this we understand. So wherever the teira mentions mayim, gamerames al So there has to be an allusion to teira. And specifically in the pasuk in our parsha. And this is especially true regarding this pasuk about which the Medr says specifically the, the pit of Yaakov was emptied out that Yaakov's pit as it were allegorically was drained of water, it was drained of Torah. And this is 
And this is the um, deeper understanding of what the Chazal taught, there was no water, there was no Torah, but there were snakes and scorpions, and we have to understand what the snakes and scorpions stand for in this allegory. And this is true specifically in light of the fact that the Medrash brings down two explanations in, in one after the other. Aleph, one is that Yaakov, Yaakov's, sorry, Yaakov's bar was emptied, is 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 what the is what the Medrash is saying. Nisreikan shel Yaakov. Um, so the, the Medrash says one explanation is that there's no water, but there's snakes and scorpions. The second explanation is ain't by Mayim, ain't by When the Pasuk says there's no water, it means there are no words of Terah. And the Medrash brings them down in close, close confluence to each other, one after the other. It means, again, according to the, the rules that the Rebbe taught us, that there has to be an inherent connection between these two things that the Medrash teaches. <clears throat> I'm sorry for interrupting. Um, what is, uh, maybe I missed this. What's Boros Yaakov? What is that? The Rebbe is going is to, it, it, well, I mean, it means in Yaakov's world, in Yaakov's family, in Yaakov's life. Okay, very strong words that when a person is standing in a situation, finds themselves in a situation where there's no Torah, then ipso facto, there are going to be snakes and scorpions, meaning there's no middle ground. Okay, so very often we hear this, the, this idea, like if you're not going up, you're going down. Or the law of entropy, if you're not building it up, it's it's degenerating, it's falling apart. Um, so the Rebbe says that if there's no if there's no water, there's going to be snakes and scorpions. If there's no terror, so what does snakes and scorpions mean behind you? The Rebbe says that you don't, you never find yourself in a situation. You yes. put yourself in a situation. I know. I, I, as soon as I said that, I, I, thanks. Vahenu. <clears throat> this means So I've explained that when we say that there's a space that is empty of Torah, it's not the pshat. Okay, so there's no Torah. But in terms of divrei rishus, things that are kind of parib, just just the regular stuff, that's all okay. Everything that's benign, everything that's that's permitted, it's not dafka mitzvah, but it's not avera. That's all okay. No, the Rebbe says ella bebor shaloi mishavim bederech memela nechashiva kravim dvarim shehem hefach hakdusha uminagdim nekdusha. So if it's not full with water, if it's not full with mayim then it's going to be filled up with snakes and scorpions, which are, the Rebbe unpacks the allegory, they are things that are opposite of Kedusha, and not only opposite, but they're minagdim. They seek to push back against Kedusha. They're opposing Kedusha. And this is in line with the Balshemtov explained on the words from Shema of Sartem Bavadatem, Ka'asher, the sarta means, and you will veer off. 
So the Baal Shem Tov taught that as soon as a person separates himself from Hashem, miyad hu Instantaneously, he is serving and there is no middle ground. Okay, And this is an explanation of that the Rebbe uh, teaches in many places. It's a strange kind of service. It doesn't have to be that you're bowing down to an idol. But it's already Zara. It's strange from what a Yid has to be and do because they veered away from what Hashem wants. In one place, the Rebbe even says that Avayi Dezara could be something that you did yesterday. But today you have to be on a higher level. So what you did yesterday is already for you Avayi Dezara. It's a lot to talk about, different explanations of Avayi Dezara. But just to explain, that I'm saying there's no middle ground. Vesartem vavadatem. As soon as you veer away from <clears throat> what they wish wants from you, you're going to trespass on Avayi Dezara. And this explains why it doesn't say in full-throated manner in the Pasuk itself that there are snakes and scorpions in this pit into which they threw Yasef. But, but, but it has to be understood, it has to be expounded from the words because it is an outgrowth. You don't have to delineate this specifically. You don't have to say nechashim ba'kravim yeshvay. Hu teitza haba b'derech memela mikach shemayim imvay. It is a necessary outgrowth of there not being water. <clears throat> there's there, there's no other way. V'lachain huvu b'medrash ne perushim halolu b'hemshach echad. And therefore, the Rebbe explains, that's why these two explanations are brought down by the Medrash in one hemshach, one after the other. Because the first explanation that the Medrash brings down, that is Nashim Ba'akravim, is dependent on and is explained by the second, which is, why are there Nashavakravim? Because there's no water. Why are there things that are Menagi to Kedusha? Because there's no Tyre. And that's why it leads to things that are opposite of the Tyre, specifically in this case, the sale of Yosef. Now, Seemingly, we could ask, we could push back against this explanation and say, It's one thing in the explanation of the Baal Shem Tov, We understand that when Vesartem, when you veer away from Hashem, what Hashem wants, it's automatically, it's Avaitazara. We understand because we're talking about the connection and the cleaving onto Hashem by Bnei Yisrael. We can understand how this works, that if you turn away from the Abishur, then immediately and automatically it's an Indian of Avaitazara. Like the Rabbi says in, in, in parentheses, at least Avaitazara on a very, very subtle level. 
But in our case here, with Yosef and his brothers, but why in our case, <clears throat> we're talking about Sadiqim, <laughs> we're talking about the Shvatim. So why do we have to say that if this ain't boy mayim, then right away nature abhors a vacuum and it has to be filled up with, with, with things that are minage to Kedusha. That seems very, very extreme. We also have to understand It's well known, the Mepharshim explained, that the brothers of Yosef, they were not Khalila, uh, you know, riffraff. They were the tzaddikim. They were the sons of Yaakov, mitasei shlema. And they believed that Yosef was that Yosef was chay of misa al pidin. They believed that Yosef was plotting to kill them. And so there's a halach in the Torah, the Rambam brings down, that if somebody is running after you, you are mechoyev to uh, protect yourself by taking them out first. That could be one reason. There are other reasons that are brought down by the Mepharshim. For instance, they mistakenly thought that he was being married by Malchus because they saw in the future, you know, and, and it's true that there was going to be much later in history, a descendant of Yosef that was going to go up against the son of Shlema HaMelech. But we have that, we have that split between Rechavim and Yeravim. But they didn't know that Yosef had to be a king before there was going to be a first king from the from the house of Yehuda. So they that was another reason why he was Chayiv Misa, because he was married by Malchim. So if this is so, that they had good reason to do this to Yosef, so this that the Medrash says, that by wanting to kill Yosef, the bar of Yaakov, the metaphoric pit of Yaakov, the space of Yaakov, was um, was drained okay. of water, was drained of Taira. I, I know somebody has a question. I'm just going to finish this paragraph. How can you say that the pit of Yosef was metaphorically drained of Taira at, when at the same time we know, because the Mepharshim teach us, that what, Yos, what the brothers of Yosef were doing was, at least in their mind, very much Alpitera. And that's why you might remember that Rashi brings down that they made a, um, they said they made like a, a pact that they would excommunicate anyone that would tell Yaakov the truth, but to have a minion, they included the Abishar. How could you include the Abishar unless you feel that you're 100% right? Sorry, Dina, did you want to have, did you want to ask something or say something? Okay, I thought maybe it was a question, but um, it's not. Dalit. The Yuvan, and we'll understand this, we'll understand this whole thing by first prefacing with the reason for why Chazal um, compare Taira to water. Now, the Rebbe explains that 
that in general, we have a number of metaphors for Torah. There's lechem, there's yayin, there's shemen, there's bread, there's wine, there's there's oil, v'chulei, and there are other. And each one of these <coughs> describes a different category, a different characteristic of Torah. But specifically about this metaphor, water, Chazal teach, Why is Torah compared to water? To teach, to tell you, Just like water always flows down, they leave a higher place to flow down to a lower place. So too, the words of Torah can only remain in a viable fashion with somebody who is humble. This is to say, Water doesn't describe Torah as much as it, I mean, when, when you could, sorry, when you compare the Torah to water, it's not talking so much about the Torah itself, but it's describing a necessary prerequisite for the person who's learning Torah and wants the Torah to stay with them. So now, once we understand what aspect of Torah Mayim is describing, now we can understand this idea <clears throat> that the pit of Yaakov, as it were, was drained of Islam. Because of course they studied Torah, and of course they were um, they were knowledgeable of the halachas, and they were even operating within the rubric of halacha. But what was missing was the mayim, was the humility with which you have to approach mayim. What was missing is this aspect. And as will be further unpacked in Se'ib Ches. But what was missing is Habitul Shenidrash Mehem Be'erech Goidel Ma'alasam. Okay, and this is underscored. What was missing is the humility as compared to the greatness of their, of their stature. Okay, move on. Mehakriyos Vahabitul Bahadgasha Shebetfila Ha'amida. And the Rebbe brings down, like, for example, we can understand this from the bowing. And, and the bowing is an expression of humility underscored it when we dive in Shemana Esrei. For most people, you bow when you say Baruch, and you straighten yourself out when you say Hashem. Aval HaMelech, but when it comes to a Jewish king, the first time that the king would bow, he did not straighten himself out until the end of Shemana Esrei. So we see from this that the greater the person, the greater the humility that is demanded of them. And the bittle. So now the question is 
further underscored and strengthened. So now that we know that it's not about, that Mayim is not so much about the etzem of Torah. In other words, they had Torah, they had halacha. They didn't have the requisite level of humility and bitl. So how could it be v'chimishum kach bilvad shahalimud nedar bitl v'shiflus tishave mitziusam shel nechashim v'akrovim dover hamenaget l'nei atayra? So now once we understand what was missing by then, it, it just makes it even more shocking that because they didn't have the right bitl, because they didn't have the right humility, so the space, their lives, as it were, filled up with nechashim v'akravim, things that oppose Kedusha and oppose Torah. Hey, v'habir bazeh, and the explanation is as follows. Iker ha-tayra, mashal yada al-yideh alimud ba-miskash ha-adam l'noisein ha-tayra. And this is a theme that the Rebbe hammers home over and over and over again, that the main thing of learning Torah is that through Torah, through learning Torah, you can connect yourself to the Naisen HaTorah. V'lochein, inyan habitul b'hashiflus, hu tenai ikri, and therefore the inyan of having abnegation, self-abnegation and humility is not a sidebar, it's not peripheral. It is a requisite, um, uh, it's a condition. Calls mancha adam hu metzias b'fnei atzmai, harehu adayin mugdar b'hagbaloi shel nivra. V'lachain eina mesugol iskasha el neisen atarisha hu b'ligvul. And the Rebbe explains why it's a necessary prerequisite. It's actually the whole study of Torah is based conditionally on the bittel. Because as long as a person does not have bittel, that means that they are within the parameters of, of themselves. If you're in the parameters of yourself <laughs> and you're a person, so you are by definition a mugbal, you're by definition extremely limited, so what, you really think that a limited entity can connect to the infinite? It's 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 ridiculous. On its face, ridiculous. It's only when the one who's studying Torah approaches this with complete self-abnegation. And in doing so, exits from the necessary limitations and constrictions of a human being, only then only then is it possible to connect to the bleak to the Ebishter. And for this we can understand what we say every day in Shmanasri. We say my my entity, my my nefesh, my being should be like um like dirt, like offer, like dust that that you know doesn't say here in, in, in the words, but like that people step on. And immediately after we say psach libi secha, 
open my heart with your Torah and to your Torah. seemingly. Seemingly, the whole idea of learning Torah, what we say, has to be of necessity with feeling, with um, excitement, with enthusiasm, and of course, with cognitive understanding and grasping. And this can only be when the person is fully invested. But when you say that my existence should be like dust and dirt, it seemingly it seems like you're obviating and you're putting down the existence of the person. And when you when when the person is put down, it shuts down their feelings, it shuts down their enthusiasm. And when you're not feeling it, it becomes harder to understand it. But the Rebbe says, When can there be a situation of opening our hearts to Hashem's Torah? When can a person actually be a receptacle to receive the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that is without any end? It's dafka only when a person approaches this with complete bittel. Bittel to everybody. And not a pedestrian bittel, but a bittel like your offer lakol. Hakol doshin olav. Everybody steps on the offer. Ali de bitul zehu nasa muksher lekabel tayrasa shel kadosh baruch hu. This kind of bitul readies us and makes us um, proper recipients to be mekabel. Ali de yagata habola acher mikin ali de yegias haadam bekayich sichloi who koylet as tayrasa shel kadosh baruch hu bekayichaysev apnimim pesach libi besayasecha. So that the prerequisite is. And then through our yigia, through working on it with our kaiches, with our intelligence, then we're able to absorb the Torah in our innermost aspects. And that's the stress on the word libi. That is not just something that we grasp cognitively, but our hearts are open to this. Vav. And now the Rebbe says, and now that we have this basis of understanding, we can understand something that is seemingly um, like a wonder, like something that we would question in the halachas surrounding learning Torah. That halacha, and certainly according to Hasidus, that when you speak out words of Torah, there's a great maila, there's a superlative quality 
over simply understanding it, meaning reading it to yourself, sitting down and reading it to yourself. But um, we know that places of terror study are noisy places. They're not the quiet libraries of the university settings. And, and this is by design. Hadinhu a person who only thinks words of Torah doesn't have to, before that, say the birches the 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 um the that we have to say on learning Torah in the morning. Because thinking about it is not like speaking it out, like articulating it. And why don't you have to make a bracha? Because if you're only thinking about it, and you could have articulated it, and you don't, then you're not yetze in the mitzvah of limanatayr. You're not yetze belimutze yidei choybas mitzvah v'limadatem oisam. Of learning and teaching others, via ceremonies and even more, havanas hatayr kshura ledibor betayr. Okay, so first the rabbi brought down the halacha and nigla. Now the rabbi is saying that nista, the Hasidus teaches that the true understanding is actually connected to and contingent on articulation. Kemaimer Chazal, like the Kemaimer Chazal says, al pasuk chayim heim le. Okay, so the Chazal teach al tikri The simple explanation is that they are a source of life for all that are found with them, meaning like Okay, but Chazal teach don't read it le. Those are those that are found with Torah. Those that are articulated orally. And more than just simply articulating it with your mouth, if it becomes set, if it actually um, impacts. All of the Ramach Evarim Shalcha, your entire body, your entire being, then it's Mishtameris. Then it has viability. Then it's lasting. It has a lasting effect. But if not, if it's just something that remains in the cognitive sphere, and even if it's articulated, it still has to come down and suffuse the entire body. seemingly. The halacha is that if you're learning and you don't understand what you're saying, then this is not considered learning at all. So, just to, to step back for a moment, when it comes to Tereshebachtav, if a Yid says words of Tereshebachtav and has no idea what it means, but simply articulating those words, he is Yitze in the mitzvah of Limanatayr. But when it comes to Tereshebachtav, it has to be understood. So now the Rebbe is asking, V'imkach, 
So we have this halacha. So why is it so important for it to not only be understood, havana, but it has to be articulated b'dibor? So why is it that not only <clears throat> if you don't articulate it, then you don't need to make a bracha. You don't need to make a bracha because you were not yetzah the mitzvah. And not only that, but that which you did understand, you won't keep it. It, it it won't be mishtameris. It won't it won't achieve viability in the, in the sense that you will remember this. Why? Why such a strong emphasis on the articulation thereof? But the explanation is <clears throat> as said above. el the main thing of learning Torah is the connection that is forged between the one who is learning and the giver of the Torah, Kaddish Baruch The reason why <coughs> The limud has to emerge from a place of absolute bittel, is as said above, because when you learn it, it has to be a learning that is coming not from within the rubric or the metric of your own cognition, because that is so limited, but rather it has to be in the way that the Torah is given. It has to be Torah soy. And from this is understood. So it's not enough that there should be this modality of bittel of self-abnegation that prefaces the learning of Torah. It's not only that this must be the prerequisite. But the learning itself has to be with a constant state of bitter. And therefore, it's 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 necessary that it should be articulated, and even more than this, and higher level than this, that it should be ordered, it should be <clears throat> something that uh pervades all the Ramach Evorim of the person. The Rebbe explains, because when a person learns Torah, but just with the Kayach just with their intelligence, with their cognition, and this is the highest aspect of our, our intelligence, is the highest aspect of this of the self. So then the person remains very much a Metzius, because where are we a Metzius? Our toes don't feel Metzius. Our spleen doesn't feel Metzius. Our heart doesn't feel Metzius. It's in the mind that we feel the self. 
says, let me give you an example, and then we infer from this example how impossible it is for a person to learn Taira without the complete bittel. It's more impossible than pila de ayel bekufa de machta. It's more impossible than an elephant going through the eye of the needle. Uma pil afshu mugbal hine kevon shekupa de machta kotan mi menu mufra hadaver legamish yukalikonis bekupa de machta ache e marim kain lo odamafilu bechalaim. The rabbi says, madach, that that a, <coughs> a, a elephant, even though the elephant is limited, but it's so much bigger than the eye of a needle that even in a dream, when a person's consciousness is suspended, even in a dream, <laughs> they wouldn't see such a crazy thing because it's mufrach lagamri. It's completely impossible. Allah has come of a kama shahatayrak shur al kadish baruchu shashuei hamelech batzmusay. How much more so when you're talking about the tayr? The tayr is connected to Hashem. What kind of connection? It's the plaything, it's the pleasurable thing of, of Hashem's atmos, habligvul ha'amiti. This is the ultimate infinity. Sorry. So for sure, the Tayyavakadish Baruchu is not able to enter in or to be grasped through the seichel of a person who is by definition measured and limited. And that's why it will not have staying power. It doesn't keep. It's not possible for Torah to have staying power in a person when the person still remains within the confines of their self-existence. The Gemara um, relates about a certain Talmud Chacham that he used to learn Belachash quietly. He did not articulate um, his in learning Shachach Talmudai. He forgot everything that he learned. But in contradistinction, but when the learning happens through the agency of the mouth, and even more so through the lower aspects of the person, the 248 limbs, and these are aspects of the person that are lower than the seichel, the seichel being the you know, the zenith of the human being. So this is happening in a way where the person kind of descends from their high and mighty perch within the self. And they come down to their the fullness of their body. Your mevatel, your intelligence. Only then can the Torah of Kaddish Baruch Hu, the infinite Torah of Kaddish Baruch Hu, be um, grasped and and integrated 
with the panemius of the person in a way that it becomes mishtameres, it has staying power. Ches. Alpizem muvan heitev. Through this, we're now going to be able to understand better, or good understand, maim chazal, maim einvoy, aval nechoshev akrovim v'yeshvoy. Ukenal. And as said above, haperish bazeh shuhu she'im reik, maim einvoy, if it's empty, if there's no water, azay b'derech memele nechoshev v'akrovim v'yeshvoy. So now we're in a position to understand this from a, from a much deeper place. Because the only way to fuse a connection, to forge a connection with the Naisenatara is only through the bitl of the one who is learning. So there is no middle ground. If there's bitl, then you align yourself <clears throat> with the with 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 the with the nice and hatera in in a, in a true way. You align yourself with the will of the Ebeshter that gave the Torah. But if chas v'shalom the bittel is lacking, it's missing. Then you're completely missing the connection to Torah. And it's even more impossible to forge a connection to Torah than it is for an elephant to go through the eye of a needle. And therefore, Alderach, in the same way that Baal Shem Tov taught, Visartem, and you will veer. As soon as you veer from the word of a Baruch Hu, you will be serving of a Jazara. Immediately, if there's if there, if, there, if there's mayim einboy, then there's nechashibakravim yeshboy. There's no a little bit pregnant, either yes or no. Like like the Chazal teaches, Hashem says, I cannot be found with the arrogant. But it's not just that it's impossible to learn Torah, that Debesh is not there, but it becomes a menaget. It becomes something that opposes. Kadosh Baruch Hu says about the arrogant person, I cannot, he and I cannot live together. Kafar be'ikar. It's like you serve Avaidazara and you are repudiating in 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 everything that is important about Torah. Bavadatem. It's Avaidazara. Vizau gam perish hamidrash b'negei la'achi Yosef kanal. And now we're circling back to apply this to the brothers of Yosef. Shenisreikan berish al Yaakov im b'divrei Torah. The Chazal say that the pit of Yaakov was emptied out. There was no divrei Torah. This should not be understood as saying that they did not have Torah. But the essence of learning Torah was completely missing. Yeah, they had Torah. Yes, they knew the din. 
And according to their mistaken calculation, Yasef was high of Misa. But there was something that was right. Why did they come to that mistaken understanding? Because they didn't have the water. Relevant to their greatness. And that's why their psakdin was not alpia kavana, because they were lacking the <clears throat> the launching pad for being able to learn Torah. We we know that the stories in our parsha concerning all of the events surrounding Yosef and his brothers. Rifki, uh, yes. Before you go further, can I ask just one question? Sure. Why is it called Bayerishal Yaakov and not Bayeri of the sons of Yaakov? Why is it missing in Yaakov and not in his sons? I think just like we say, Mitasay Shlema. Yes. It's, it's, so Bayerishal Yaakov are his children. Like Bayerishal, each one of us, uh, hopefully Hashem, blesses us with with a bar that's how i understand it like in in the family of in the space of okay I, I i could be wrong but that's that's the way i'm understanding it if somebody has a different explanation please so the stories in our parsha about the about the events surrounding yasef and his brothers are the hakdama they're the preface to the galus and then after that, the Geula from Mitzrayim. Because the sale of Yosef led to Yaakov and his sons coming down to Mitzrayim. And the whole reason they came down was the Indian that would come afterwards, Matan and we're going to apply the same to this idea that there was no water, but there were snakes and scorpions. That the Torah teaches us that this inin of habar reik, if there isn't the proper bittel and there isn't the proper humility, then this is nagea to the whole central idea of Matan Because this whole paradigm that in order to learn Torah, it has to come from a place of Bittel, that all began with Matan That is a novelty of Matan household. The difference between the learning of Avais before Matan and the learning of Tera by all of us children, starting from after Matan who the difference is as follows. Before Matan Limit Hatera was with the Kayach that each person had. The extent to which Torah could be grasped was entirely dependent on that person's ability to understand and grasp. 
והחידוש של מתן תאר הוא, והחידוש, the novelty of מתן תאר is ונוסן לנו אס תאירסי, התאר כמי שהוא תאירסי של הקדוש ברוך הוא, שעשוי המלך בעצמוסי, ניתנה על ידי הקדוש ברוך הוא לכל יהודי, כמובן גם מפסק הדין שכל יהודי ובכל יום מחויב במירס פרחס התאר. So the Kiddush of Matan Torah was that it was no longer going to be contingent on the individual and their capacity, but rather it was given as a matana, the Eibishter's Torah, it's two things here. It's Tairasai, it's on one hand, the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu with all of the implications thereof, and on the other hand, it's given to every Jew, and we understand this from the Psakalacha, that even a Jew who has no intention of studying Torah that day is still mechuyiv to say the bracha. In other words, it's a gift that keeps on giving, with, with, and it's not contingent on the kalim that we're putting out for it, and it's certainly not contingent on our abilities. And through this, we can understand Uh, uh, a Gemara that says at first Moshe would learn Torah and he forgot it until it was given to him seemingly this is a, this is a big wonder here Much before Matan Torah and before Moshe, people were learning Torah, like the Chazal teach, again a Gemara, that from the days of our forefathers, there was never a cessation in a yeshiva. There was always a yeshiva. There was always a study of Torah. For sure they didn't forget it. The Rebbe doesn't say this, but I'm understanding this. If they would have forgotten it, then... Uh, There wouldn't have been any tradition, and we know the tradition did trickle down, and definitely you can't you can't refer to it as yeshiva, because yeshiva means that there's an institution where people are sitting and learning this. So if before Matan Torah there were people that were learning, and they were learning in a, uh, let's just say, substantial way, because it's referred to as a yeshiva, And, and we have to say that logic compels that it wasn't all forgotten. How could it be that Dafka by Moshe, La'achim Matan Torah, there should be this Indian, the possibility of forgetting. El-Abir Bazehu, the explanation is, Ha'limud l'fnei Matan Torah, ha'yibavchinas ha-Torah kefisha hi be'erach ha-Briya. The learning of Torah was <clears throat> in a way that is relative to the creatures that were learning the Torah. It was, let's just say, in their toolbox. And therefore, it could be integrated in their inner landscape in a, in a, in a, in a substantial way, in an inner way. But when you compare and contrast this to Matan but with Matan Torah, the Ebishter gave A, a very different iteration of the Torah. It was Torah Sai. 
it was his Torah. Like the Rebbe says, Atzmus, Sha'ashue Atzmuse. It was the plaything of the Ebeshter. The deepest part of the Ebeshter is in it. And so once that happens, there is no way that a human being can integrate this knowledge on their own steam. And that's why the Gemara says that Moshe learned it and he forgot it. So it seems that this was what the Ebeshter was teaching Moshe on high before Moshe gave it to Bnei Israel, because it was until the Ebeshter gave it to the the particular um, conduit of a gift. But when you're talking about the Abishter, who has nimna hanim nice, that it's impossible for anything to be impossible for Kaddish Baruch Hu. Therefore, the Abishter could fuse together the infinite with the finite. Nasan as tayrasai habilti mukbelas nitna loy. And not just Nitnalai, not only did the Abishta give the infinite Taira to a person, to Moshe, and we know and we and we're taught that when you give, when you're giving a present, it comes from a place of ayin yafa. It comes because you want to give. So you give generously. And we know that amatana, what's the Indian of amatana? That you get something that you're not deserving of. <clears throat> you didn't pay for what it's worth. And who did the Abishta give this tremendous matana to? Lenivra Mugbal, to a finite person. And this is true for every Jew that the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu can be absorbed and integrated on a deep level and therefore is it has staying power because the Abishra gave it to us. It's a present. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we necessarily could have acquired on our own. That's the Indian of a present. Ule Idach, on the other hand, even though Jews are able to quote unquote, very important, the quotes are the strongest and most important part of this word, that even though B'nai Israel are able to quote unquote grasp the Torah through our Kayachasechel. Why? Because the Abishter gave it to us and they were able to also grasp through our Kayach the Noisan Atayra, Kaddish Baruch himself, Mikol Mokoy. And yet at the same time, Behechrech Sheyagam Bitola Adam. And at the same time, there has to be complete abnegation. So on one hand, it can't be that Abishter did not want that we should just say, Abishter, we're, we're just fleeting here today, gone tomorrow, ephemeral creatures. We can never understand what you're saying. Just tell us what to do and just tell us how high to jump and we'll do it. No, the Abishter wanted Dafka that we should learn. 
and we should learn with our seichel, and at the same time, with complete bittel. Because the intention is, Why does it have to be that we should learn Torah? Why? It's such a messy and also a very, very dangerous experiment, right? <laughs> Especially those of us on campuses know what it looks like when people study Torah and they're not at all connected to the Nisan Torah. It's, it's, it's not pretty. Um, so why did it have to be that we should have to engage in this altogether? It should seem to be impossible. But the Abishta wanted that it should come to us through Aveda Dafka, the shall and it shouldn't come in a way of the shame that comes with getting bread that is given out of pity. So therefore, we have to do something. In other words, whatever we do is just really an obfuscation of the truth of what's happening. We have to make some kind of overture. Because through this, we become, to some extent, a proper vessel for being able to receive and integrate the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch And this is only possible through Bittal and through the agency of the Bittal, we leave our own sense of self. We therefore leave our own limitations and we're able to receive the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch can I ask a question? Sure. So, it, so if I understand correctly, Moshe Rabbeinu was being taught the Torah uh, post Matan Torah, before Matan Torah, and that's why he needed the gift from Hashem. Is that correct? That's how I understand it. Okay. So I, 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 that's how I understand it. This is what I got when asking others because I. Okay, so just something that I'm just wondering about. It, it, it seems like there's a parallel. So after Matan Torah, when we do mitzvahs, we have this ability to uplift the Gash Mitzvah where before Matan Torah we didn't, it seems like similar to this idea that the Torah would be forgotten hundred you integrate it. Exactly. Because it's the Indian of being able to bring down Atmos. And only in Atmos can you have the fusion of Gvul and Bilti Gvul. Only in Atmos. But it seems though that with Mitzvahs, let's say, we don't really have to do anything to effectuate that we can impact the Gash We just do it. But with her, if you don't have the bittel, then you still miss that boat. Is that true? I think that the reason for that is, and I could be wrong, and anybody who understands definitely, please chime in. But I think the reason for that is because actions are bederch memela from, from action items can be done even when your whole mind is not invested in it. In other words, you, when you look, how many things do you do from a place of bittle without even thinking about it? It's not like, okay, I'm going to be mevatal myself now. I'm going to diaper my baby. I'm going to be mevatal myself and I'm going to pick up that napkin that somebody threw on the floor. I'm going to be mevatal myself. I'll never forget once I was like nine months pregnant, like three days before delivery. And a student was showing me where on the floor there was more 
uh, dirt that I should sweep up. <laughs> like, but but these are things that we do. B'derach memela. It's there's already that built-in bittel. Masha'inkain. When you're talking about learning, learning is very much something that takes place in our in our cerebral orbit, and that's like the highest aspect of the self. And it could be very much about a, a ego trip. It could be very much about, you know, I enjoy this, like like the Greek philosophers, you know, like do as I say, not as I do, and so on and so forth. So just the action of doing a mitzvah by default is kind of subduing yourself to what Hashem wants. That's it. That's what it is. Okay. Like 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 a concept the Rebbe brings down. And if the Abishu would have told us that we have to we have to um hack wood, we have to um split wood, so that would be the mitzvah. Like, really, you're walking around with four types of vegetation uh, on on uh on on sukkis. This is not coming from a place of your understanding. So now we circle back to the very beginning. How is this connected to Hanukkah? That remember that the Rebbe said that this limud about Mayim Ein Boy is found in the Gemara Dafka in Asugya, where it's talking about Hanukkah. What's the connection? Yeah, there is a much more superficial explanation, and that is that the Balmamit said both of these things. But 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 there's a deeper explanation. It's very well known. Hasidus speaks about this in so many different places. The specificity of what it says in Alanisim. The Greeks were not looking to <clears throat> eradicate from us the ideas of Torah. They did not want to cut us off from learning Torah generally. What they attacked was the transcendent element of Torah. That is the Torah of Hashem. And that's why they didn't break the the, the glass jars, the uh, the cruise the, cruise, the the oil. They didn't break them. They made them impure. I I think so often about this image of you know troops from this very powerful vaunted army and what are they standing and doing there they're painstakingly taking off the seal of the kain gadol it's like such a fascinating image that by the way must have taken a lot of bitl on their part from their commander who told them to do such a thing because it's easier they could have just had fun and smashed them against the wall the lie of they they didn't make that the, that the oil should go bye bye that should be lost the shemen who and Chassidus teaches constantly that Shemen is the idea of Chachma. It's a metaphor for Chachma. The, the Greeks were 
or the Greek Syrians, whatever you want to call them, they were okay. They were a-okay with the Jews having oil, with the Jews having the chachma and the study of Torah. But what they were looking for was to make it impure. And what does it mean to make it impure? What does it mean to pollute it? That it should not be connected to the holiness of the Torah. It shouldn't be connected to the nice and her. This is one of the reasons why the Ebster made this miracle that a small cruise of pure oil should be found, an untouched little cruise of oil. Because the truth of the matter is that if the whole nation has only this, then, then they would be able to use it. It would have been permitted. So even though halachically there was a way out, and they could have lit with the Tameh oil if that was all that was available. But no. They were to made that they should find one, one little pitcher of oil, one little bottle of oil, however it was packed, and that this should remain for the entirety of Hanukkah because the Nitzachin is about Taira Secha. The Rebbe Kachsach very much about the difference between Purim and Hanukkah. Purim is about the destruction of the body. Hanukkah is about attacking the spirit. The whole Indian of Hanukkah was for them to attack the spirit. And so to now go back to what was said before about there's no water. It's through the humility. That is the only way that we can guard against the metaphoric snakes and scorpions. And it's the same thing with Hanukkah. That is dafka through the mitzvah of lighting the Hanukkah menorah with pure oil. Because every time we light, it's a remembrance of this emphasis on the purity of the oil. Kalya de So the, the Gemara asks, until when can you light the menorah? So the Gemara answers, until the traffic ceases in the shuk, in the marketplace. So the Gemara goes back and pushes against that and says, well, when when does the traffic, when is the traffic in the marketplace considered to be completely seized? And the Gemara answers, until the people from Tadmor um, stop walking in the, in the marketplace. Why? Because the people from Tadmor were the people that sold kindling wood. And so even when all the other vendors in the market went home already, because everybody had presumably bought the fish or the meat or the baked goods or whatever, whatever that they were buying. But people can sometimes need kindling wood late at night and realize that they ran out or they don't have enough, etc. So now the Rebbe says 
Hasidus teaches that Tarmud Oisius Meredes, that this geographical location called Tarmud is also an allusion to the idea of rebelling against Hashem. For as long as there is some deficit in the Indian of the purity of the oil, in the Indian of humility, there is still the possibility for rebelling against God. It's still the possibility of that you will serve idols. But by lighting candles of Hanukkah, and where originally I was supposed to light outside in front of our house, like they still do in, in places in Israel, but the, but the, but the emphasis is on chutzah, that it should it should illuminate the outside. As I then then kalya. Then you completely consume, you stop the possibility for rebellion. Even from the public thoroughfare, the marketplace of ideas. And this happens in a complete way. By approaching the Indian of Torah properly, by using only the pure oil, you completely destroy, you consume, you obviate completely the possibility of rebellion. It's not just that you obviate rebellion like on the level of cognition or the feelings, but there's no rebellion at all, even even on the foot level. Until we completely, the Abisha completely irradiates the darkness of the Golos and brings practically the Geula Hamitis Vahashlema and Shabi Bekarov Mamash Mamash. So that's our Sikha for today. And again, her Foshlema, Nisif, Harav Yosef, Yitzhak, Matsim, Achasia, and all of the people that need our Foshlema and for all of our soldiers, and for all of the people in Eretz Yisrael, and for all of us all over the world. Amen.